are listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chuck Williams. Joining me in Omaha, as usual, is Brendan Williams. Brendan, how's it going? It's going good. President's Day. President's Day, that's right. We are recording on President's Day, February 20th. Happy President's Day to everyone listening. And joining us, as usual, from Arlington, Texas, is the great Matt Hodges. Matt, how you doing, man? Hey, salute, everybody. Um, Yeah, it's fine. We've had a week of no major blow-ups. So, you know, I, I think we're doing pretty good. We're, we're on the upswing here. Yeah, we're doing great. It's been great weather up here in Nebraska. It's normally, it can be anything from like close to 80 degrees or negative 20 degrees in February. <laughs> right. But it's usually pretty cold. But this weekend, it hit like 69 degrees. Yeah, it was really warm out. Wow. Yeah, they were reporting down here in Texas, Texas Standard, which is the local NPR program, that all of the flowers are blooming, like the trees are starting to bud already, which is not normal for February, not even in a warmer state like Texas. Well, this weather's too beautiful, I guess, and too plentiful, such as the topics that we have. I wish I could connect the two things, but we're having good weather, and we've got a lot of good things to talk about, I guess. So (laughs) there we go. There's the segue. (laughs) All right. You guys were just telling me about this documentary that you watched. I'm Daryl Davis. I'm a musician, actor, author, and a lecturer. People always say to me, Daryl, how can you have this stuff? Why don't you burn it? As shameful as it is, you don't burn our history, regardless of the good, the bad, the ugly. And the Ku Klux Klan is as American as baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Yeah, Brendan, uh, you had sent it over. So yeah, I caught it actually just broadcasting on PBS over the antenna, but it's called accidental courtesy daryl davis race in america and it's a documentary about this guy daryl davis i ended up watching it here today and he was a black guy that uh was born in the 50s his father was a secret service agent which was pretty rare job for black people back then ended up becoming a jazz musician graduated college had been all over the world eventually came to the idea that he wanted to figure out how people could hate someone that they don't even know based on something like the color of their skin or religion. And so he set out to answer that question by talking to as many Klansmen as he could meet over about 25 years or so (laughs) and uh, ended up befriending some and even causing some to uh, abandon their Klan ways altogether. So... It was a pretty amazing documentary. That came from a really early experience of his, right? Like all of us, he was in the Cub Scouts, in a Cub Scout pack that was all white, and they were marching in a parade. The Den Mothers let him hold the American flag, and he ended up getting pelted by bottles and rocks and things, and had no idea what it was about, and asked his parents afterwards him. They had to explain to him what happened and why he was targeted and none of the rest of the scouts were. Because at first he thought, man, these people really hate scouts out here. <laughs> so, Or really um, hate the American flag or something. Right, exactly. So he ended up becoming aware of race at that point in his life, graduating from college, becoming a musician, playing in a band that played all kinds of music, including country, and was at a bar and struck up a conversation with some people afterwards 
and it turned out one of them was in the clan and so he was just kind of curious about it and invited him back out to shows and invited him to bring his clan friends to the shows and and they would come to the shows and dance and and have a good time it was really weird but he started having more of a dialogue with people in the clan and really trying to answer that question of how they could hate without knowing somebody you know some of the people he became really good friends with and was invited to clan rallies all the time and so he's at that bar that Jimmy Rebel plays in at the in that one episode of Boondocks and instead of like yeah. running away decides to walk up to like the worst guy there and say, hey, let me buy you a beer. Let's have a conversation. And even, you know, went so far as like he said, he legit became friends with them. They would hang out. He would go over to their house and play music for them. They would come over and hang out with him and his friends. He was so close with them that at one point, uh, a family that he knew from the clan, the the dad had gotten arrested and he was like, well, here, I will drive you like all the way across the state so you can go see your dad in prison Mm -hmm. and they had said like no one in the clan had ever offered you know to do that for us so that was when like we really you know woke up and realized like this is crazy (laughs) that you know and so over the years uh and he had literally been doing this for decades now he's gotten Mm -hmm. like dozens of people to hand over their robes to him Yep. And say like I'm not going to be in the clan anymore. Here's here's my robes. I'm I'm hanging up my robes. Right. And he just has like yeah like closets full, full of them. He keeps them. Yeah. He doesn't. What like trophies? He keeps them. He, he says he, 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 he wants. He says he wants to open up a museum. That's right. Um, oh yeah, cool. But that got a little controversial because one of the the interesting aspects of this film was that you kind of hear his idea. And you think like, oh, wow, what a warm story about like this guy, you know, breaking down barriers and mm-hmm. and meeting, you know, meeting and finding common ground with people in the clan and then getting them to stop being in the clan just by being himself and like refuting the, <laughs> the clan's ideology just by being a wonderful person. Right. <clears throat> but then he had a meeting with some some Black Lives Matter activists in, in Baltimore mm-hmm. and it did not go well. <laughs> no, <laughs> it did not. What was their objection? Well, they didn't understand what the end game was to begin with. They wanted to hear it from him. And they just kind of thought, essentially, you're spending, you've spent all these decades doing this, and you really haven't made a whole lot of individual headway with the clan. And Well, it sounds like it was making a lot of individual headway, just maybe not systemic headway. There you go, systemic headway. Right, because every person that you befriend for literally decades yeah. <laughs> to leave the clan, they induct more people <laughs> in those decades. Yeah, it's one less person in the clan who's going to raise their kids to be in the clan also. Right, exactly. So their objection was, uh, it, it was something along the lines of, you're you're giving a platform to, or you're, you're normalizing like racism by interacting with these people instead of rejecting it wholesale and working on your own community. Well, yeah, that and why are you try? you know, they should be the one trying to understand us, not us trying to understand them. We pretty much understand what they're all about. We don't need to empathize with that. They're ignorant. And Daryl Davis basically said, but you're a college dropout. 
<laughs> you're kind of ignorant too. <laughs> and then they kind of, they kind of got up after that. And then this other dude came over there and basically just started shouting at him. Yeah, I almost wonder at that point in the film, it was definitely like a tense moment in the film. And I almost wonder how how it was edited and what that full conversation sounded like, because I could kind of understand where where the the Black Lives Matter dudes were, were coming from. But I felt that their points weren't very well articulated, but also like it was cut up so much. It's hard to mm. know exactly how that conversation transpired. But I think a lot of what they were saying was, you know, you're spending so much time and effort to go out of your way to be nice to the clan who literally will, you know, some members of the clan will just beat and kill black people when, when they, when they run into them, you know what I mean? Right. And you're going out of your way to be nice to them. Basically saying that it's black people's responsibility to, to do that and not people who's in are in the clan's responsibility to do change or do anything. You know, it puts all of the, the work of On the oppressed person. Right. Yeah. I've got two thoughts on that, and one of them is it's related. It it seems like it's a good metaphor for a lot of what I see uh, on Twitter and social media um, in the political climate that we have right now, where you call someone a racist and someone will spit back. This is why Trump won. the The left, the progressives, the liberals don't want to engage in conversation. They just want to label people. They don't engage in that conversation. You know, and that's, I don't agree with it 100%, because sometimes if somebody's espousing a Nazi philosophy, then they should just get punched in the face and never come out in public again. At the same time, I do think that that value, the value is the guy who doesn't raise his kids to be in the clan, right? You're mm-hmm. you're kind of hitting it at a, you're getting the clan where it lives, and where it lives is in the home and in people's hearts. And if you can reach out to people like that and actually get them to change their views, then that's a very good thing. And that's a thing that everybody needs to be working on. Right. And you can't do that by punching them in the face. You're just reinforcing their belief when you refuse to engage in right. any other way except violent confrontation. That's the debate between giving someone a platform or not giving them a platform. You know, right. and I want to come back around to it because we're going to talk about Milo in a little bit. But yeah. I think that that's that's going on in the news right now, whether or not yes. to give someone a platform so they can be shut down publicly, or if you shut them down, sort of on the private side and never give them the the microphone to begin with. One of the interesting things there was a lot of interesting things from the documentary that I'd kind of taken away, but one of the interesting kind of facts or tidbits in it is one of the clansmen that he had befriended was uh frank ancona who is uh part of the traditionalist american knights of the kkk and that dude literally was found dead like a month or a couple weeks ago yeah maybe a week ago yeah found shot in missouri do they know why do we have any sense of so at the time that this film this documentary was released they did not know he had been very recently killed yeah um but in the intervening time and there was a lot of speculation kind of going to what we were talking about just a second ago about was he killed by leftist activists or whatever did social justice warriors murder this kkk member in cold blood and now it kind of turns out that his wife and stepson have been arrested in Mm. suspicion of of having something to do with some familial drama 
So it doesn't look like, uh, but you never know. I, yeah. I don't think there's a trial has happened yet or anything. Right. Not There's not much known other than that, but right now it's definitely pointing to, in the family, I mean, Frank and Kona, a day after he had told his wife that he wanted to get a divorce, she had posted an ad looking for a roommate for him, you know, stating that he um, probably wasn't going to have enough money to live on his own. And when he went missing, she told the police that his job had called and asked him to do an immediate, like an emergency rush transport job or something, which the company basically said that we didn't, we did not ask him to do any <laughs> such thing. So, I mean, it's pretty much looking like it's going to be in the family, but it's going to be interesting to see why it was, if it was truly just a domestic thing or if it had anything to do with the racism or any of that. But, but he was actually really involved after the Mike Brown shooting in the uh, counter protests of Black Lives Matter, that Frank Ancona guy. So, and you know, even though he's in this documentary, is kind of hanging out with Daryl Davis and, and being very friendly with him. Yeah, he did not renounce. He wasn't nope. one of the people who had renounced the Klan. He was still very much actively involved. And Daryl had said at one point, like, "I hope <laughs> that you will give it up one day." Right. Didn't get a not, chance. Not that one, Daryl. You're gonna have to get another guy. So. Um. It was a great documentary. I definitely think everyone should watch it. It was on PBS.org. Uh, Independent Lens is the uh, yeah, that's the name group. of like the the series of uh, of documentaries. And again, it's called Accidental Courtesy: Daryl Davis, Race, and America. Yeah. And one real quick follow up question: How does the what does the title mean? What does that accidental courtesy theme mean? I think that's about his story about accidentally meeting people in the the kkk right and not being mean to them because he was just more kind of just confused and trying to understand them so he was accidentally you know very friendly to them in a way that made them be able to come together whereas if he had come into it from like an attacking standpoint they would have you know returned <laughs> that right that viciousness that's great it sounds like a great watch yeah, and in his case, it happened to be, you know, the accident came through music, but, I mean, I think that everyone that watches it should think about where the accident could be in their life or something, you know. It could be sports these days with, with a country like Iran or something like that, but it could be a lot of different venues, theater, arts, anything. We just need to be looking for more ways to uh, have those accidents present themselves in our lives, so. Absolutely. Yeah, there's more that unites us than divides us, right? Yeah, there you go. So uh, do you guys want to uh, jump into the Milo situation here, Matt? Yeah, so then the the question is whether you try to engage in those conversations um, and try to get some good out of it, or sometimes where do you draw the line about where you give someone a platform? And I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. Just had a very open and successful Presidential election by professional protesters decided by the media are protesting. Very unfair. What I wanted to talk about was this tension between trying to have the individual conversation um, with somebody you can actually change their mind versus giving a platform to people who espouse ideas that we we don't 
want to take root in our culture. And I think that that was really starkly illustrated over the past week with everything that's been going on with Milo Yiannopoulos. And you guys know him. You know, he's got a really strange bio. He's a firebomb-throwing editorialist. I'm not going to call him a journalist. I don't think he does a whole lot of investigation into what he's reporting. Um, Rose to prominence during the Gamergate thing because he came out not so much in favor of gamers as opposed to what they deem social justice warriors or the regressive left, the the authoritarian left. Got a big following and he's been he shows up in the news every once in a while. His speech at UC Berkeley was the catalyst for the riots that happened there. Riots, I I don't know. You can watch the video and decide for yourself. There was some property damage for sure. Anyway, yeah, did anyone see him on Bill Maher? I saw some clips. He was on with, um, you know, a lot of people were criticizing Bill Maher and saying that Bill Maher was being too friendly to him. There was a point where uh, the other guest, Larry Widmore. Wilmore. Larry, Larry Wilmore from uh, The Nightly Show and formerly from The Daily Show. And yeah, they kind of got into a back and forth that was pretty heated where he was he was speaking out pretty strongly against against Milo. Um, I believe he actually told him repeatedly to shut the F up. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, in the same episode, while he was there, uh, Jeremy Scahill, reporter at The Intercept, chose not to go on the show or backed out of doing the show because he did not want to give that kind of a platform to Milo and said, you know, nothing good comes from debating this ideology at this level here so well because milo's not there to debate or to really to have a rational discussion even though he likes to pretend that he is right he's there to drum up controversy Mm -hmm. and and attention any way that he can yep and often through provocative yeah for is being as provocative and outrageous as possible to draw condemnation and then you know, feed on that condemnation and outrage and just double down <laughs> yes. uh, and, and grow your audience. You know, he's there ostensibly as the most conservative or rightist because he's, he's part of the alt-right and doesn't necessarily reflect conservative values. Um, and he's wearing a suit jacket over like a camisole and a bunch of pearls with a lot of makeup yeah. on, you know, so he's... He's outraging people on both sides with that. The left is outraged by what he's saying. The right is probably a little uncomfortable with how he appears and is representing their values or their arguments, at least. Well, and that was kind of a high point of his week there. Well, yeah, I was going to say it goes all the way down. And hopefully by the time the episode airs that uh, people are still talking about it or he's relevant. But I fear he won't be (laughs) because now... After that, I guess it just surfaced. I guess it was a conversation that he had on another podcast. First CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, chose him as their keynote speaker at their yearly national convention. This is a pretty big deal. Famous people have been keynote speakers here, and this year it was going to be Milo. And then, please continue, Chuck, because this is where it gets juicy. Okay, so I guess sometime a year ago, maybe a f- 
few months to a year ago. Um, Milo was on a podcast, and I think it's called like the Drunken Peasants or something like that. And they were talking about whatever, and somehow he comes around to having a a quote that seems very um, sympathetic towards people having relationships with boys as young as thirteen in the uh, in the gay community, and it was it was just a uh, you know more to me it was just more shocking stuff coming out of Milo Yiannopoulos's mouth. It w- was not any more shocking than some things a lot of things he says regularly. He's been known for pretty extreme nationalist views. Um, certainly has come out very strongly against trans issues, and in fact is no friend right. to. Uh, you know, he's he's a gay man, but is no friend to LGBT rights. Doesn't believe that lesbians are actually a thing. Thinks it's all um, attention seeking and stuff like that. So you know, he's even said things in terms of the gayness. He said gay men need to go back in the closet, and that he was only gay to piss off his parents, and that you know, it was a choice for him. Those kind of things, but. Amongst all of this, I guess this video surfaces and no one had seen it before. Well, people had seen it, apparently. I hadn't seen it, but it surfaces and then his CPAC invitation gets rescinded. Then after that, Simon and Schuster cancel his book deal or drop the book deal. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been talk even that he may be forced to resign at Breitbart or there may be a protest staged within Breitbart. Yeah, and a number of a number of Breitbart employees signed a letter that said that they were going to walk unless he was let go because they no longer felt like he was representing the organization well, which I, coming from Breitbart is something. Yeah. To say that after I mean this is the guy that like bathed in pig's blood and they're like, dude, now now he's really not representing us well, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is kind of crazy that he could say, you know, some of the most outrageous things like, oh, feminism is worse than cancer and yes. all this stuff about it. he got banned from Twitter for making up lies and, and harassing Leslie, Leslie Jones, Jones about the Ghostbusters movie because, of course— the Ghostbusters movie is the is the worst thing to happen to masculinity in the last you know century. Right. Uh, so you know definitely worth uh, going on some racist tirades. But if you go on a small time podcast and then just say like, well, you know the age of consent is is weird. Right. That's where people at least draw the line. I mean, I guess I'm glad there's still lines. It wasn't that it was weird. It was that it was violative of people's autonomy. Somehow there's a libertarian value wrapped up in letting people have sex with people who probably aren't old enough to have all the knowledge that they need to consent. Right. And he had said, like, hey, it's not pedophilia if you're 13. Like, that's not pedophilia. Yeah. I mean... His argument was not that it's not pedophilia if you're 13 because that's not taking advantage of someone younger. I'm pretty sure what he was trying was the pedophilia ephibophilia gambit, which is where somebody who okay. is trying to defend against ac- accusations of pedophilia says, no, pedophilia is when it's prepubescent. I was talking post-pubescent. Right. 
and somehow we're supposed to believe that that's better. <laughs> right. I mean, but that's yeah. what I'm saying is like this is such a weird of all the things he said. Even if, this is not even that right. crazy. Like, of course he <laughs> believes this crazy thing. Like, yeah. it's just so crazy that people are somehow now just waking up and saying, like, this this guy doesn't seem like he's that good of a guy. Right. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't invite him to speak at our conference. It's just mind-blowing to me. I am not going to argue that that position reflects how libertarians as a political, like, pseudo-party feel about that particular issue. However, I spend a lot of time online and you see a shocking amount of defending having sex with children. It seems like they've got better issues to focus on, um, libertarians and then their extreme counterpart, the anarcho-capitalists, which is a built-in oxymoron. Jesus, there's so many names out there that I need to know. Especially amongst the ANCAPs, but you also see it in a little bit more mainstream libertarian communities, you see people arguing against the age of consent. I think what happened is Milo was just repeating another thing that he thought he could get a reaction out of. But what's been interesting is, you know, this uh, political wing in the U.S. that seems not to have a line. They had lines, and then Donald Trump violates so many of them just with his lifestyle um, that it's interesting to see CPAC fire Milo as their keynote speaker because apparently pedophilia or whatever he was arguing we need to call it is that's just like right. that's a bridge too far for them, which is good yeah. I guess. Um, at the same time, <laughs> that we finally that we finally found that that standard. At the same time, right. this audio was pretty old. It's not like it wasn't findable before. It means they didn't vet him. They they hired him initially based on his ability to piss people off by saying the most outrageous thing. This is the biggest political action committee for conservatism. And if that's what they're saying to America, then them firing him because he said some things that seem to be encouraging having sex with little boys... That seems more like a political optics thing and not a matter of principle. But I guess it, it remains to be seen if this is his downfall or just yet another outrage springboard into an ever-growing platform and influence that he seems right. to be just stumbling into with everything that you think, like, well, surely no one can like this guy now. Look at all the horrible things he does. And then he just right. continues to grow. I feel like the Milo Hopontopoulos train has not reached the station yet, and I don't think that it's done rolling through this uh, derailed country or anything. Not on this. And if it's any indication from Trump's grabbing comment, and everyone was like, man, I think that this is the new low. And, you know, he kept on rolling. So I think that, you know, Milo definitely has that, that chance. <laughs> But it does seem like that. It's like, where have all the vetters gone? I mean, was this something that CPAC even found themselves? Or was this something that was brought to their attention? You know how CPAC finds its speakers. They just go to Twitter and they're like, what's trending? We're CPAC. We just got to get the hottest ticket right now. (laughs) The hottest non-pedophilic ticket, please. Did anyone in Trump's campaign have contact with Russians? Absolutely not. Not new allegations of connections to Russians. Quiet. Russia is fake news. Quiet, quiet, quiet. I'm sorry. I spoke in millions of words on TV. So many words. I know what it's like to have all the haters descend upon me. So many haters, yeah, when you're on 
TV saying so many words You can't help but drop a couple little turns But if it smells bad, you should just relax And spray the Febreze of alternative facts Alternative facts Late last week, Trump held his first press conference as president and basically came out and said, I inherited a mess. This country was going down the tubes and I'm, I'm saving it, but it's going to take a while. And the media is just being so unfair. So Cry unfair. Oh, he spent so much time talking about the media, that everything the media is saying about him basically is fake news. Don't believe that Russia's a big deal. Don't believe that the administration's not going well. Don't believe that we have a leak problem, even though I want to prosecute people who are leaking information, which is fake news, but the leaks are a problem. The leaks are real, but the news is fake. They're real leaks, and they're illegal, so the information must be real? Wasn't that... But the the news is fake. It makes literally... Only Donald Trump can contradict himself in four words. He's like an amazing achievement. But I mean, one of his direct quotes from the press conference was, I'm not ranting and raving. No public figure has ever had to say those words together, preemptively get ahead of what people are going to say about how the press conference is going right now. (laughs) No other time can I think of where a president one month in said, let's be clear, I inherited a mess. A mess. When Obama came in, when there was two failed wars going on. And a massive economic collapse. Right. It's going to take a while to work through this or whatever. And all the conservatives were like, oh, yeah, just yeah. blame everything on Bush. Yo, yeah. it's This is just so typical. Yeah, this right. is such an ineffective administration. He can't even get us out of these three gigantic disasters that we're in in a week. At once. And Donald Trump comes in with like the lowest unemployment rate, record job growth, 76 consecutive months of job growth, all these things. Record low immigration. You know? <laughs> right. Like all these things. And also, seriously, if you're fighting so hard to do one of the toughest jobs in the world and then you start complaining about how tough it is, in between all your golfing, all your Saturday night live watching, all your tweeting about Saturday right. night live. Going to your vacation resort, literally yeah. Every weekend, spending <laughs> yeah. more money on vacations in one month than Barack Obama spent in a year, on track to spend more in a year than Obama spent in a eight presidency. Years. <laughs> eight years. Yeah. It's just absolutely nuts. Playing for Secret Service for his kids to fly and do business deals in like Uruguay and, and in like Dubai and stuff. Yeah, just open that golf course or whatever. <laughs> it hasn't been that great for him. And then talking about fake terror attacks in Sweden now. I mean, the thing that happened in Sweden Friday yeah. night and everyone went, what happened in Sweden Friday night, including the government of Sweden on Twitter saying, what was supposed to have happened here on Friday night? <laughs> fake news happened, Sweden. Carry on. Nothing right. to see right. here. He has this ridiculous press conference. He just berates the press. He yelled at a black woman journalist who, are you going to meet with the Congressional Black Caucus? No, no. What he said was, are they friends of yours? Can you set up a meeting for me? Well, for, right. Yeah. First he said, I don't know what the CBC is. And then they said, it's the Congressional Black Caucus. And he's like, are they, aren't you friends with them? Can't set up the meeting. I'm a reporter, sir. Well, but the meeting got set up, so, you know. That's going to be great. Hey, yeah. But then immediately flies from his press conference down to Florida to uh, to his resort, where then he, on Saturday he holds a literal campaign rally for his reelection. 
three weeks into his presidency, yep. holding a re-election campaign rally, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this no, this is great. This is this is a totally rational, normal like, president thing to do." I got to keep my name in their minds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they may forget about me if I'm off president. <laughs> yeah, which is probably the least of his concerns. I don't think anyone's going to forget that he's president for as long as he's president. And, like, they're going to have any doubt that he would run again, you know, if right. he even made it all the way and through like, the first one. I feel like this campaign rally thing, no one is going to fall for that, right? Like, what is the the point of it? Like, to boost his like approval numbers or something well, apparently like, something like nine thousand people showed up for it so i mean it was a group of people for sure and i mean sure for trump trump fans i mean he's a media figure he's gonna turn out his crowds and his fans and people who were just like this is gonna be crazy i, I gotta go mm-hmm. um or people who go to protest and 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 get outraged by it but I just feel like that's just not a good look to be campaigning while you're out there saying like, hey, the world's a mess and uh, I'm working as hard as I can. As soon as I hit the links, hit my resort, hit a couple campaign, I'm working on it real hard. Right. Well, Congress is doing a lot of the work for him. You know, he's he's going to basically rubber stamp the policy platform that the Republican Party has been pushing for a couple of decades now, which is to basically gut the administrative state get rid of entitlements as much as possible um, and give a lot of tax cuts to rich people. And Donald Trump has not indicated that he's opposed to any of that. As long as he gets to rant to people on Twitter and go to campaign rallies surrounded by people who love him, you know, president stuff. Well, and (laughs) you know, allowing people at his resort to witness his, confirmation meetings or whatever his appointees and all that can happen right there i forgot uh, there was another there was a, a tape that leaked of from before uh during the election yes. yeah. at his golf club in new jersey saying like hey everyone you know thanks for being in the secret golf club with me uh we're going to be interviewing a lot of cabinet people tomorrow so you know stop on by we, we'd love to have you here yeah. Uh, you know, just come on through. It's going to be really exciting. You know, top level security clearance uh, interviews for all these guys. It's going to be great. Thanks for all the money. And nope, didn't even make a headline. And this might actually make a good segue that one of the big spots of broad impact resistance that's going on right now is this really subtle thing being waged by the Merriam Webster's Dictionary Twitter account. Where things will happen in the news and they'll dig up a word that's relevant to it. And what you reminded me of, Brendan, was the word clacker, uh, C-L-A-Q-U-E-R, which is a word for people who are enlisted or hired to show up and be an audience member who will applaud for a thing. They're called clackers? They're called clackers. And we've seen that multiple times from him. And yeah, it's just so funny to me that Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, is basically subtweeting Donald Trump all the time. And it's hilarious because they have they have all of the best words. They have the best words. And they know how to use them. <laughs> Wait until Trump dictionary comes out. It's going to be it's going to be even better. Terrific It'll be about 14 pages long. Honestly, <laughs> that's all you need. It'll Tremendous will have three entries in it. That's all you need. 1984 yeah. spoilers. That's that's all. That's all you need. All right. Now, how about a high note here? <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about some uh, 
some Twitter accounts that are bringing joy and laughter to the world. As a as a nice contrast. <laughs> as a nice contrast to the hell that we just walked through for the last few minutes. <laughs> okay. They're on topic because all the ones I wanted to bring up were these Donald Trump parody accounts, and some of them really clever. Not just what you would picture, you know, a picture of Donald Trump and mocking him, but... I mean, people right. are getting into character. We've got the Prez supervillain up right now. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones for sure. President supervillain, at Prezvillain on Twitter. He takes old Captain America villains, writes Trump quotes into the word bubbles. Yeah, specifically, it's like Silver Age Red Skull. Which I imagine has a, a voice like Skeletor, Skeletor from He-Man, sure. where he's like, Yes! <laughs> the very dishonest media is making up <laughs> fake news! I'm not ranting and raving! I liked the uh, Donald the Unready account that you had sent out. <laughs> yeah, so this account, it's a, it's a guy pretending to be a medieval king of Mercia. But he tweets in the style of Donald Trump. So, a uh, top tweet is, Can you, what a loser. Can't even hold back the sea. It's just water. We're going to be so tough on the sea. Canute was too soft. Sad. And this one, I like particularly because it spun off a bunch of other accounts. Other people are now pretending to be Pictish kings and defending their policies against the the assaults of Donald the Unready. Totally behind call for post-Wessex world order. Alfred the worst couldn't keep order anyway. Move over, West Saxons. It's Mercia time. <laughs> <laughs> Headed down to Mercia Lago for a quick break after all the great stuff I've been doing over the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that account's great. Yeah, I do really like it. I mean, it's kind of it kind of reminds me of yeah. I, I like uh, I like this one. I have to get in. This one is like you can't really just read one tweet. You got to get into the the Viking one. You got to get deep in there. I've been pulling up Wikipedia articles on Mercia in the medieval period to figure <laughs> out you know the context for some of these jokes. This is this is one you got to do your homework for, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, and it's nice to have. You know, if you're on Twitter at all, there's a it can it can often be a stream of like, oh man, whew, not a lot of not a lot of great stuff going on in here. So it's nice <laughs> to follow a couple of those accounts where it's like, oh yeah, just kittens right. every once in a while, or like, oh mm -hmm. really cool waterfalls. Some feel good stuff. God bless those accounts, <laughs> keeping us all safe. <laughs> That's in these, right. These duck times. <laughs> <laughs> Another successful high note. There we go. Hey, that was a great high note, actually. <laughs> so. I think that would be a good place to wrap it up then. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can follow us at liquid underscore flannel on Twitter and follow us individually. You can find me at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I'm at Matt the Gwait with a W. And if people want to rate and like us on, on iTunes, that helps us get the word out. Absolutely. Like and share, and any feedback is appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>